Chapter thirty five of the Wide Wide World. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget. The Wide Wide World by Susan Warner. Chapter thirty five. This Working Day World. The spring had come, and Alice and Ellen were looking forward to pleasanter rides and walks, after the sun should have got a little warmth and the snow should be gone. When one morning, in the early part of March, Mr. Van Brunt made his appearance. Miss Fortune was not well, and had sent him to beg that Ellen would come back to her. He was sorry, he said. He knew Ellen was in the best place, but her aunt wanted her, and he supposed she'd have to go. He did not know what was the matter with Miss Fortune. It was a little of one thing and a little of another. He supposed she'd overdid, and it was a wonder, for he didn't know she could do it. She thought she was as tough as a piece of shoe leather, but even that could be wore out. Ellen looked blank. However, she hurriedly set herself to get her things ready, and, with Alice's help, in half an hour she was ready to go. The parting was hard. They held each other fast a good while, and kissed each other many times, without speaking. "'Good-bye, dear Ellie,' whispered Alice at last. "'I'll come and see you soon. Remember what John said when he went away.' Ellen did not trust herself to speak. She pulled herself away from Alice, and turned to Mr. Van Brunt, saying by her manner that she was ready." He took her bundle, and they went out of the house together. Ellen made a manful effort, all the way down the hill, to stifle the tears that were choking her. She knew they would greatly disturb her companion, and she did succeed, though with great difficulty in keeping them back. Luckily for her, he said hardly anything during the whole walk. She could not have borne to answer a question. It was no fault of Mr. Van Brunt's that he was so silent. He was beating his brains the whole way to think of something it would do to say, and could not suit himself. His single remark was, that it was like to be a fine spring for the maple, and he guessed they'd make a heap of sugar. When they reached the door, he told her she would find her aunt upstairs, and himself turned off to the barn. Ellen stopped a minute upon the threshold to remember the last time she had crossed it, and the first time. How changed everything now! And the thought came, was this now to be her home forever? She had need again to remember John's words. When bidding her good-bye, he had said, My little pilgrim, I hope you will keep the straight road, and win the praise of the servant who is faithful over a few things. I will try, thought poor Ellen, and then she passed through the kitchen, and went up to her own room. Here, without stopping to think, she took off her things, gave one strange look at the old familiar place, and her trunk in the corner, fell on her knees for one minute, and then went to her aunt's room. "'Come in,' cried Miss Fortune, when Ellen had knocked. "'Well, Ellen, there you are.' I am thankful it is you. I was afraid it might be Mimy Lawson, or Sarah Lowndes, or some of the rest of the set. I know they'll all come scampering here as soon as they hear I am laid up. Are you very sick, Aunt Fortune? said Ellen. La, no, child. I shall be up again to-morrow. But I felt queer this morning somehow, and I thought I'd try lying down. I expect I've caught some cold. There was no doubt of this, but this was not all. Besides catching cold, and doing her best to bring it about, Miss Fortune had overtasked her strength and by dint of economy housewifery and smartness had brought on herself the severe punishment of lying idle and helpless for a much longer time than she at first reckoned on what can i do for you aunt fortune said ellen oh nothing as i know said miss fortune only let me alone and don't ask me anything and keep people out of the house mercy my head feels as if it would go crazy ellen look here said she raising herself on her elbow i won't have anybody come into this house if i lie here till doomsday i won't now you mind me. I ain't a-going to have Mimy Lawson, nor nobody else, poking all round into every hole and corner, and turning every cheese upside down to see what's under it. 
There ain't one of em too good for it, and they shan't have a chance. They'll be streaking here, a dozen of em, to help take care of the house. But I don't care what becomes of the house. I won't have anybody in it. Promise me you won't let Mr. Van Brunt bring anyone here to help. I know I can trust you to do what I tell you. Promise me. Ellen promised, a good deal gratified at her aunt's last words, and once more asked if she could do anything for her. Oh, I don't know, said Miss Fortune, flinging herself back on her pillow. I don't care what you do, if you only keep the house clear. There's the clothes in the basket under the table downstairs. You might begin to iron em. They're only rough dry. But don't come asking me about anything. I can't bear it. Ellen, don't let a soul go into the buttery except yourself. And Ellen, I don't care if you make me a little catnip tea. The catnip's up in the storeroom, the furthest door in the back attic. Here's the keys. Don't go to fussing with anything else there. Ellen thought the prospect before her rather doleful when she reached the kitchen. It was in order, to be sure, and clean, but it looked as if the mistress was away. The fire had gone out, the room was cold, even so little a matter as catnip tea seemed a thing far off and hard to come by. While she stood looking at the great logs in the fireplace, which she could hardly move, and thinking it was rather a dismal state of things, in came Mr. Van Brunt with his good-natured face, and wanted to know if he could do anything for her. The very room seemed more comfortable as soon as his big figure was in it. He set about kindling the fire forthwith, while Ellen went up to the storeroom. A well-filled storeroom. Among other things, there hung at least a dozen bunches of dried herbs from one of the rafters. Ellen thought she knew catnip, but after smelling of two or three, she became utterly puzzled, and was fain to carry a leaf of several kinds down to Mr. Van Brunt to find out which was which. When she came down again, she found he had hung on the kettle for her, and swept up the hearth. So Ellen, wisely thinking it best to keep busy, put the ironing blanket on the table, and folded the clothes, and set the irons to the fire. By this time the kettle boiled. How to make catnip tea Ellen did not exactly know, but supposed it must follow the same rules as black tea, in the making of which she felt herself very much at home. So she put a pinch or two of catnip leaves into the pot, poured a little water on them, and left it to draw. Meanwhile came in kind Mr. Van Brunt, with an armful or two of small short sticks for the fire, which Ellen could manage. "'I wish I could stay here and take care of you all the while,' said he, "'but I'll be round. If you want anything, you must come to the door and holler.' Ellen began to thank him. "'Just don't say anything about that,' said he, moving his hands as if he were shaking her thanks out of them. "'I'd back all the wood you could burn every day for the pleasure of having you hum again, if I didn't know you as better where you was. But I can't help that.' "'Now, who am I going to get to stay with you? "'Who would you like to have?' "'Nobody, if you please, Mr. Van Brunt,' said Ellen. "'Aunt Fortune don't wish it, and I had rather not, indeed.' He stood up and looked at her in amazement. "'Why, you don't mean to say,' said he, "'that you are thinking, or she is thinking, "'you can get along here without help.' "'I'll get along somehow,' said Ellen. "'Never mind. Please let me, Mr. Van Brunt. "'It would worry Aunt Fortune very much to have anybody. "'Don't say anything about it.' "'Worry her,' said he, and muttered something Ellen did not quite understand, about bringing the old woman to reason. However, he went off for the present, and Ellen filled up her teapot and carried it upstairs. Her old grandmother was awake before, when Ellen was in the room. She had been napping. Now she showed the greatest delight at seeing her, fondled her, kissed her, cried over her, and finally insisted on getting up directly and going downstairs. Ellen received and returned her caresses with great tenderness, and then began to help her rise and dress. "'Yes, do,' said Miss Fortune. "'I shall have a little better chance of sleeping. "'My stars! Ellen, what do you call this?' "'Isn't it catnip?' said Ellen, alarmed. 
Catnip, it tastes of nothing but the tea kettle. It's as weak as dishwater. Take it down and make some more. How much did you put in? You want a good double handful, stocks and all. Make it strong. I can't drink such stuff as that. I think if I could get into a sweat, I should be better. Ellen went down, established her grandmother in her old corner, and made some more tea. Then her irons being hot, she began to iron, doing double duty at the same time. For Mrs. Montgomery had one of her talking fits on, and it was necessary to hear and answer a great many things. Presently the first visitor appeared in the shape of Nancy. "'Well, Ellen,' said she, "'so Miss Fortune is really sick for once, and you are keeping house. Ain't you grand?' "'I don't feel very grand,' said Ellen. "'I don't know what is the matter with these clothes. I cannot make them look smooth.' "'Irons ain't hot,' said Nancy. "'Yes, they are. Too hot. I've scorched a towel already.' "'My goodness, Ellen, I guess you have.' "'If Miss Fortune was down, you'd get it. "'Why, they're bone-dry,' said Nancy, plunging her hand into the basket. "'You haven't sprinkled them, have you?' "'To be sure,' said Ellen, with an awakened face. "'I forgot it.' "'Here, get out of the way. I'll do it for you,' said Nancy, "'rolling up her sleeves and pushing Ellen from the table. "'You just get me a bowl of water, will you? "'And we'll have em done in no time. "'Who's a-coming to help you?' "'Nobody.' "'Nobody, you poor chicken. "'Do you think you're going to do all the work of the house yourself?' "'No,' said Ellen, "'but I can do a good deal, and the rest will have to go.' "'You ain't going to do no such thing. I'll stay myself.' "'No, you can't, Nancy,' said Ellen quietly. "'I guess I will, if I've a mind to. I should like to know how you'd help it. Miss Fortune's abed.' "'I could help it, though,' said Ellen. "'But I'm sure you won't when I ask you not.' "'I'll do anything you please,' said Nancy, "'if you'll get Miss Fortune to let me stay. Come, do, Ellen. It will be splendid, and I'll help you finely. And I won't bother you neither.' "'Come, go ask her. If you don't, I will.' "'I can't, Nancy. She don't want anybody. And it worries her to talk to her. I can't go and ask her.' Nancy impatiently flung down the cloth she was sprinkling, and ran upstairs. In a few minutes she came down with a triumphant face, and bade Ellen go up to her aunt. "'Ellen,' said Miss Fortune, "'if I let Nancy stay, will you take care of the keys, and keep her out of the buttery?' "'I'll try to, ma'am, as well as I can.' "'I'd as lief have her as anybody,' said Miss Fortune, "'if she'd behave.' She was with me a little in the winter. She is smart and knows the ways. If I was sure she would behave herself, but I'm afraid she will go rampaging about the house like a wild cat. I think I could prevent that, said Ellen, who, to say truth, was willing to have anybody come to share what she felt would be a very great burden. She knows I could tell Mr. Van Brunt if she didn't do right, and she would be afraid of that. Well, said Miss Fortune, disconsolately, let her stay, then. Oh, dear, till I hear— "'But tell her, if she don't do just what you tell her, "'I'll have Mr. Van Brunt turn her out by the ears. "'And don't let her come near me, for she drives me mad. "'And, Ellen, put the keys in your pocket. "'Have you got a pocket in that dress?' "'Yes, ma'am. "'Put em in there, and don't take em out. "'Now go.' "'Nancy agreed to the conditions with great glee, "'and the little housekeeper felt her mind a good deal easier. "'For though Nancy herself was somewhat of a charge, "'she was strong and willing and ready, "'and if she liked anybody, liked Ellen.' Mr. Van Brunt privately asked Ellen if she chose to have Nancy stay, and told her, if she gave her any trouble, to let him know, and he would make short work with her. The young lady herself also had a hint on the subject. "'I'll tell you what,' said Nancy, when this business was settled. "'We'll let the men go off to Mrs. Van Brunt's to meals. We'll have enough to do without em. That's how Miss Fortune has fixed herself. She would have Sam and Johnny into board. They never used to, you know, afore this winter.' "'The men may go,' said Ellen, "'but I had a great deal rather Mr. Van Brunt would stay than not, "'if we can only manage to cook things for him. "'We should have to do it, at any rate, for ourselves and for Grandma.' 
"'Well, I ain't as fond of him as all that,' said Nancy. "'But it'll have to be as you like, I suppose. "'We'll feed him somehow.' Mr. Van Brent came in to ask if they had anything in the house for supper. Ellen told him plenty, and would have him come in just as usual. There was nothing to do but to make tea. Cold meat and bread and butter and cheese were all in the buttery. So that evening went off very quietly. When she came down the next morning, the fire was burning nicely, and the kettle on and singing. Not Nancy's work. Mr. Van Brunt had slept in the kitchen, whether on the table, the floor, or the chairs, was best known to himself, and, before going to his work, had left everything he could think of ready done to her hand, wood for the fire, pails of water brought from the spout, and some matters in the lower kitchen got out of the way. Ellen stood warming herself at the blaze, when it suddenly darted into her head that it was milking time. In another minute she had thrown open the door, and was running across the chipyard to the barn. There, in the old place, were all her old friends, both four-legged and two-legged, and with great delight she found Dolly had a fine calf, and Streaky another superb one, brindled just like herself. Ellen longed to get near enough to touch their little innocent heads. But it was impossible, and recollecting the business on her hands, she too danced away. "'Weo,' said Nancy, when Ellen told her of the new inmates of the barnyard, "'there'll be work to do. Get your milk-pans ready, Ellen. In a couple of weeks we'll be making butter.' "'Aunt Fortune will be well by that time, I hope,' said Ellen. "'She won't then, so you may just make up your mind to it. "'Dr. Gibson was to see her yesterday forenoon, "'and he stopped at Miss Lowndes on his way back, "'and he said it was a chance if she got up again in a month and more. "'So that's what it is, you see.' "'A month and more. It was all that. "'Miss Fortune was not dangerously ill, "'but part of the time in a low nervous fever, "'part of the time encumbered with other ailments. "'She lay from week to week, bearing her confinement very ill,' and making it as disagreeable and burdensome as possible for Ellen to attend upon her. Those were weeks of trial. Ellen's patience and principle and temper were all put to the proof. She had no love in the first place for household work, and now her whole time was filled up with it. Studies could not be thought of. Reading was only to be had by mere snatches. Walks and rides were at an end. Often, when already very tired, she had to run up and downstairs for her aunt, or stand and bathe her face and hands with vinegar or read the paper to her. When Miss Fortune declared she was so nervous she should fly out of her skin if she didn't hear something besides the wind. And very often, when she was not wanted upstairs, her old grandmother would beg her to come and read to her, perhaps at the very moment when Ellen was busiest. Ellen did her best. Miss Fortune never could be put off. The old mother sometimes could, with a kiss and a promise. But not always. And then, rather than she should fret, Ellen would leave everything, and give half an hour to soothing and satisfying her. She loved to do this at other times. Now it was sometimes burdensome. Nancy could not help her at all in these matters, for neither Miss Fortune nor the old lady would let her come near them. Besides all this, there was a measure of care constantly upon Ellen's mind. She felt charged with the welfare of all about the house, and under the effort to meet the charge, joined to the unceasing bodily exertion, she grew thin and pale. She was tired with Nancy's talk. She longed to be reading and studying again. She longed, oh, how she longed, for Alice's and John's company again. And it was no wonder if she sometimes cast very sad, longing looks further back still. Now and then an old fit of weeping would come. But Ellen remembered John's words, and often in the midst of her work, stopping short with a sort of pain of sorrow and weariness, and the difficulty of doing right, she would press her hands together and say to herself, I will try to be a good pilgrim. Her morning hour of prayer was very precious now, and her Bible grew more and more dear. 
Little Ellen found its words a mighty refreshment, and often when reading it she loved to recall what Alice had said at this and at the other place, and John and Mr. Marshman, and before them her mother, the passages about heaven, which she well remembered reading to her one particular morning, became great favorites. They were joined with her mother in Ellen's thoughts, and she used to go over and over them, till she knew them nearly by heart. "'What do you keep reading that for the whole time?' said Nancy one day. "'Because I like to,' said Ellen. "'Well, if you do, you're the first one I ever saw that did.' "'Oh, Nancy,' said Ellen, "'your grandma?' "'Well, she does, I believe,' said Nancy, "'for she's always at it. "'But all the rest of the folks that I ever saw "'are happy to get it out of their hands, I know. "'They think they must read a little, and so they do, "'and they are too glad if something happens to break em off. "'You needn't tell me. I've seen em. "'I wish you loved it, Nancy,' said Ellen. "'Well, what do you love it for? "'Come, let's hear. Maybe you'll convert me.' "'I love it for a great many reasons,' said Ellen, "'who had some difficulty in speaking of what she felt Nancy could not understand. "'Well, I ain't any wiser yet. "'I like to read it because I want to go to heaven, and it tells me how.' "'But what's the use?' said Nancy. "'You ain't going to die yet. You are too young. You've time enough.' "'Oh, Nancy, little John Dolan, and Eleanor Parsons, and Mary Huff, "'all younger than you and I.' "'How can you say so?' "'Well,' said Nancy, "'at any rate, that ain't reading it because you love it. "'It's because you must, like other folks.' "'That's only one of my reasons,' said Ellen, "'hesitating and speaking gravely. "'I like to read about the Saviour, "'and what He has done for me, "'and what a friend He will be to me, "'and how He forgives me. "'I had rather have the Bible, Nancy, "'than all the other books in the world.' "'That ain't saying much,' said Nancy. "'But how come you to be so sure you are forgiven?' "'Because the Bible says, "'He that believeth on him shall not be ashamed. "'And I believe in him, "'and that he will not cast out any one that comes to him, "'and I have come to him, "'and that he loves those that love him, "'and I love him. "'If it did not speak so very plainly, "'I should be afraid. "'But it makes me happy to read such verses as these. "'I wish you knew, Nancy, "'how happy it makes me.' "'This profession of faith was not spoken "'without starting tears. "'Nancy made no reply.' As Miss Fortune had foretold, plenty of people came to the house with proffers of service. Nancy's being there made it easy for Ellen to get rid of them all. Many were the marvels that Miss Fortune should trust her house to two girls like that, and many the guesses that she would rue it when she got up again. People were wrong. Things went on very steadily and in an orderly manner, and Nancy kept the peace as she would have done in few houses. Bold and insolent as she sometimes was to others, she regarded Ellen with a mixed notion of respect and protection, which led her at once to shun doing anything that would grieve her, and to thrust her aside from every heavy or difficult job, taking the brunt herself. Nancy might well do this, for she was at least twice as strong as Ellen, but she would not have done it for everybody. There were visits of kindness as well as visits of officiousness. Alice and Mrs. Van Brunt and Marjorie, one or the other every day, Marjorie would come in and mix up a batch of bread, Alice would bring a bowl of butter or a basket of cake, and Mrs. Van Brunt sent whole dinners. Mr. Van Brunt was there always at night, and about the place as much as possible during the day. When obliged to be absent, he stationed Sam Larkins to guard the house, also to bring wood and water, and do whatever he was bid. All the help, however, that was given from abroad, could not make Ellen's life an easy one. Mr. Van Brunt's wishes that Miss Fortune would get up again began to come very often. The history of one day may serve for the history of all those weeks. It was in the beginning of April. Ellen came downstairs early, but come down when she would, she found the fire made and the kettle on. Ellen felt a little as if she had not quite slept off the remembrance of yesterday's fatigue, 
However, that was no matter. She set to work. She swept up the kitchen, got her milk strainer and pans ready upon the buttery shelf, and began to set the table. By the time this was half done, in came Sam Larkins with two great pails of milk, and Johnny Lowe followed with another. They were much too heavy for Ellen to lift, but, true to her charge, she let no one come into the buttery but herself. She brought the pans to the door, where Sam filled them for her, and as each was done she set it in its place on the shelf. This took some time, for there were eight of them. She had scarce wiped up the spilt milk and finished setting the table, when Mr. Van Brunt came in. "'Good morning,' said he. "'How do you do to-day?' "'Very well, Mr. Van Brunt.' "'I wish you'd look a little redder in the face. Don't you be too busy. Where's Nancy?' "'Oh, she's busy, out with the clothes. Same as ever upstairs? What are you going to do for breakfast, Ellen?' "'I don't know, Mr. Van Brunt. There isn't anything cooked in the house. We have eaten everything up.' "'Cleaned out, eh? Bread and all?' "'Oh, no, not bread. There's plenty of that. But there's nothing else.' "'Well, never mind. You bring me a ham and a dozen of eggs, and I'll make you a first-rate breakfast.' Ellen laughed, for this was not the first time Mr. Van Brunt had acted as cook for the family. While she got what he had asked for, and bared a place on the table for his operations, he went to the spout and washed his hands. "'Now a sharp knife, Ellen, and the frying-pan and a dish, and that's all I want of you.' Ellen brought them, and while he was busy with the ham, she made the coffee, and set it by the side of the fire to boil, got the cream and butter, and set the bread on the table, and then set herself down to rest, and amuse herself with Mr. Van Brunt's cookery. He was no mean hand. His slices of ham were very artist-like, and frying away in the most unexceptionable manner. Ellen watched him and laughed at him, till the ham was taken out, and all the eggs broke in. Then, after seeing that the coffee was right, she went upstairs to dress her grandmother, always the last thing before breakfast. "'Who's frying ham and eggs downstairs?' inquired Miss Fortune. "'Mr. Van Brunt,' said Ellen. This answer was unexpected. Miss Fortune tossed her head over in a dissatisfied kind of way, and told Ellen to tell him to be careful. "'Of what?' thought Ellen, and wisely concluded with herself not to deliver the message, very certain she should laugh if she did." and she had running in her head an indistinct notion of the command, Honor thy father and thy mother. Breakfast was ready, but no one there when she got downstairs. She placed her grandmother at table and called Nancy, who by this time had been getting the clothes out of the rinsing water and hanging them out on the line to dry, said clothes having been washed the day before by Miss Sarah Lowndes, who came there for the purpose. Ellen poured out the coffee, and then in came Mr. Van Brunt, with a head of early lettuce, which he had pulled up in the garden and washed at the spout. Ellen had to jump up again to get the salt and pepper and vinegar, but she always jumped willingly for Mr. Van Brunt. The meals were pleasanter during those weeks than in all the time Ellen had been in Thirlwall before, or she thought so. That sharp eye at the head of the table was pleasantly missed. They with one accord sat longer at meals. More talking and laughing went on. Nobody felt afraid of being snapped up. Mr. Van Brunt praised Ellen's coffee. He had taught her how to make it, and she praised his ham and eggs. Old Mrs. Montgomery praised everything, and seemed to be in particular comfort, talked as much as she had a mind, and was respectfully attended to. Nancy was in high feather, and the clatter of knives and forks and teacups went on very pleasantly. But at last chairs were pushed from the table, and work began again. Nancy went back to her tubs. Ellen supplied her grandmother with her knitting, and filled her snuff-box, cleared the table, and put up the dishes ready for washing. Then she went into the buttery to skim the cream. This was a part of the work she liked. 
It was heavy lifting the pans of milk to the skimming shelf before the window, but as Ellen drew her spoon round the edge of the cream, she liked to see it wrinkle up in thick yellow leathery folds, showing how deep and rich it was. It looked half butter already. She knew how to take it off now very nicely. The cream was set in a vessel for future churning, and the milk, as each pan was skimmed, was poured down the wooden trough at the left of the window, through which it went into a great hogshead at the lower kitchen door. This done, Ellen went upstairs to her aunt. Dr. Gibson always came early, and she and her room must be put in apple pie order first. It was a long, wearisome job. Ellen brought the basin for her, to wash her face and hands, then combed her hair, and put on her clean cap. That was always the first thing. The next was to make the bed, and for this Miss Fortune, weak or strong, wrapped herself up and tumbled out upon the floor. When she was comfortably placed again, Ellen had to go through a laborious dusting of the room and all the things in it, even taking a dustpan to brush the floor, if any speck of dust or crumbs could be seen there. Every rung of every chair must be gone over, though never so clean. Every article put up or put out of the way. Miss Fortune made the most of the little province of housekeeping that was left her, and a fluttering tape, escaping through the crack of the door, would have put her whole spirit topsy-turvy. When all was to her mind, and not before, she would have her breakfast, only gruel and biscuit, or toast and tea, or some such trifle. But Ellen must prepare it and bring it upstairs, and wait till it was eaten. And very particularly it must be prepared, and very faultlessly it must be served. Or, with an impatient expression of disgust, Miss Fortune would send it down again. On the whole, Ellen always thought herself happy when this part of her day was well over. When she got down this morning she found the kitchen in nice order, and Nancy standing by the fire in a little sort of pause, having just done the breakfast dishes. "'Well,' said Nancy, "'what are you going to do now?' "'Put away these dishes, and then churn,' said Ellen. "'My goodness, so you are. What's going to be for dinner, Ellen?' "'That's more than I know,' said Ellen, laughing. "'We have eaten up Mrs. Van Brunt's pie, and washed the dish. There's nothing but some cold potatoes.' "'That won't do,' said Nancy. "'I tell you what, Ellen,' We'll just boil pot for today, and somebody else will send us something by tomorrow, most likely. I don't know what you mean by boil pot, said Ellen. Oh, you don't know everything yet, by half. I know. I'll fix it. You just give me the things, Miss Housekeeper. That's all you've got to do. I want a piece of pork and a piece of beef, and all the vegetables you've got. All, said Ellen? Every soul on em. Don't be scared, Ellen. You shall see what I can do in the way of cookery. If you don't like it, you needn't eat it. "'What have you got in the cellar?' "'Come and see and take what you want, Nancy. "'There is plenty of potatoes and carrots and onions, and beets, I believe. "'The turnips are all gone. "'Parsnips out in the yard, ain't there?' "'Yes, but you'll have to do without a piece of pork, Nancy. "'I don't know anything about beef.' "'Well, Nancy went round the cellar, gathering in her apron the various roots she wanted. "'Ellen uncovered the pork barrel, and, after looking a minute at the dark pickle she never loved to plunge into— bravely bared her arm, and fished up a piece of pork. "'Now, Nancy, just help me with this churn out of the cellar, will you? And then you may go.' "'My goodness, it is heavy,' said Nancy. "'You'll have a time of it, Ellen. But I can't help you.' She went off to the garden for parsnips, and Ellen quietly put in the dasher and the cover, and began to churn. It was tiresome work. The churn was pretty full, as Nancy had said. The cream was rich and cold, and at the end of a half an hour grew very stiff, it splattered and sputtered up on Ellen's face and hands, and frock and apron, and over the floor. Legs and arms were both weary. But still that pitiless dasher must go up and down, hard as it might be to force it either way. She must not stop. 
In this state of matters, she heard a pair of thick shoes come clumping down the stairs, and beheld Mr. Van Brunt. "'How are you?' said he. "'Churning. Been long at it?' "'A good while,' said Ellen, with a sigh. "'Coming?' "'I don't know when.' Mr. Van Brunt stepped to the door, and shouted for Sam Larkins. He was ordered to take the churn and bring the butter, and Ellen, very glad of a rest, went out to amuse herself with feeding the chickens, and then upstairs to see what Nancy was doing. "'Butter come?' said Nancy. "'No, Sam has taken it. How are you getting on? Oh, I am tired. I'm getting on first rate. I've got all the things in.' "'In what?' "'Why, in the pot. In a pot of water. Boiling away as fast as they can. We'll have dinner directly. Hurrah! Who comes there?' She jumped to the door. It was Thomas, bringing Marjorie's respects, and a custard pie for Ellen. "'I declare,' said Nancy, "'it's a good thing to have friends, ain't it? I'll try and get some. Hello, what's wanting?' "'Mr. Van Brunt's calling you, Ellen.' Ellen ran down. "'The butter's come,' said he. "'Now, do you know what to do with it?' "'Oh, yes,' said Ellen, smiling. "'Marjorie showed me nicely.' He brought her a pail of water from the spout, and stood by with a pleased kind of look, while she carefully lifted the cover and rinsed down the little bits of butter which stuck to it and the dasher, took out the butter with her ladle into a large wooden bowl, washed it, and finally salted it. "'Don't take too much pain,' said he. "'The less of the hand it gets, the better. That will do very nicely.' "'Now are you ready?' said Nancy, coming downstairs. "'Cause dinner is.' "'My goodness! Ain't that a fine lot of butter? "'There's four pounds, ain't there?' Five, said Mr. Van Brunt. "'And as sweet as it can be,' said Ellen. "'Beautiful, isn't it?' "'Yes. I'm ready as soon as I set this in the cellar and cover it up.' Nancy's dish, the pork, potatoes, carrots, beet, and cabbage, all boiled in the same pot together, was found very much to everybody's taste, except Ellen's. She made her dinner off potatoes and bread.' the former of which she declared, laughing, were very porky and cabbagey. Her meal would have been an extremely light one, had it not been for the custard pie. After dinner new labors began. Nancy had forgotten to hang on a pot of water for the dishes. So, after putting away the eatables in the buttery, while the water was heating, Ellen warmed some gruel and carried it with a plate of biscuit upstairs to her aunt. But Miss Fortune said she was tired of gruel and couldn't eat it. She must have some milk porridge and she gave Ellen very particular directions how to make it. Ellen sighed only once as she went down with her despised dish of gruel, and set about doing her best to fulfill her aunt's wishes. The first dish of milk she burnt. Another sigh and another trial. Better care this time had better success, and Ellen had the satisfaction to see her aunt perfectly suited with her dinner. When she came down with the empty bowl, Nancy had a pile of dishes ready washed, and Ellen took the towel to dry them. Mrs. Montgomery, who had been in an uncommonly quiet fit all day, now laid down her knitting, and asked if Ellen would not come and read to her. "'Presently, Grandma, as soon as I have done here.' "'I know somebody that's tired,' said Nancy. "'I'll tell you what, Ellen. You had better take to liking pork. You can't work on potatoes. I ain't tired a bit. There's somebody coming to the door again. Do run and open it, will you? My hands are wet. I wonder why folks can't come in without giving so much trouble.' It was Thomas again, with a package for Ellen, which had just come, he said, and Miss Alice thought she would like to have it directly. Ellen thanked her and thanked him, with a face from which all signs of weariness had fled. The parcel was sealed up, and directed in a hand she was pretty sure she knew. Her fingers burned to break the seal, but she would not open it there, neither leave her work unfinished. She went on wiping the dishes, with trembling hands and a beating heart. "'What's that?' said Nancy. "'What did Thomas Grimes want?' "'What have you got there?' "'I don't know,' said Ellen, smiling. "'Something good, I guess. 
"'Something good? Is it something to eat?' "'No,' said Ellen. "'I didn't mean anything to eat when I said something good. "'I don't think those are the best things.' To Ellen's delight she saw that her grandmother had forgotten about the reading, and was quietly taking short naps, with her head against the chimney. So she put away the last dish, and then seized her package and flew upstairs. She was sure it had come from Doncaster. She was right. It was a beautiful copy of The Pilgrim's Progress, on the first leaf written, To my little sister, Ellen Montgomery, from J. H., and within the cover lay a letter. This letter Ellen read in the course of the next six days, at least twice as many times, and never without crying over it. Alice has told me, said John, about your new troubles. There is said to be a time when the clouds return after the rain. I am sorry, my little sister, this time should come to you so early. I often think of you, and wish I could be near you. Still, dear Ellie, the good husbandman knows what his plants want. Do you believe that, and can you trust him? They would have nothing but sunshine if that was good for them. He knows it is not, so there come clouds and rain, and stormy wind fulfilling his will. And what is it all for? Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. Do not disappoint his purpose, Ellie. We shall have sunshine enough by and by. But I know it is hard for so young a one as my little sister to look much forward. So do not look forward, Ellie. Look up. Look off unto Jesus from all your duties, troubles, and wants. He will help you in them all. The more you look up to him, the more he will look down to you. And he especially said, Suffer little children to come unto me. You see, you are particularly invited. Ellen was a long time upstairs, and when she came down, it was with red eyes. Mrs. Montgomery was now awake, and asked for the reading again, and for three-quarters of an hour Ellen and she were quietly busy with the Bible. Nancy, meanwhile, was downstairs washing the dairy things. When her grandmother released her, Ellen had to go up to wait upon her aunt, after which she went into the buttery and skimmed the cream, and got the pans ready for the evening milk. By this time it was five o'clock, and Nancy came in with a basket of dry clothes, at which Ellen looked with the sorrowful consciousness that they must be sprinkled and folded by and by, and ironed to-morrow. It happened, however, that Jane Huff came in just then, with a quantity of hot shortcake for tea, and seeing the basket, she very kindly took the business of sprinkling and folding upon herself. This gave Ellen spirits to carry out a plan she had long had, to delight the whole family with some eggs, scrambled in Marjorie's fashion. After the milk was strained and put away, she went about it, while Nancy set the table. A nice bed of coals was prepared, the spider set over them, the eggs broken in, peppered and salted, and she began carefully to stir them, as she had seen Marjorie do. But instead of acting right, the eggs maliciously stuck fast to the spider and burned. Ellen was confounded. "'How much butter did you put in?' said Mr. Van Brunt, who had come in and stood looking on. "'Butter,' said Ellen, looking up. "'Oh, I forgot all about it. I ought to have put that in, oughtn't I? I'm sorry.' "'Never mind,' said Mr. Van Brunt. "'Tain't worth your being sorry about. "'Here, Nancy, clean us off this spider, and we'll try again.' At this moment, Miss Fortune was heard screaming. Ellen ran up. "'What did she want?' said Mr. Van Brunt, when she came down again. "'She wanted to know what was burning. "'Did you tell her?' "'Yes.' "'Well, what did she say?' "'Said I mustn't use any more eggs without asking her.' "'That ain't fair play,' said Mr. Van Brunt. "'You and I are the head of the house now, I take it.' "'You just use as many on em as you've a mind, "'and all you spile, I'll fetch you again from home. "'That's you, Nancy. "'Now, Ellen, here's the spider. Try it again. "'Let's have plenty of butter in this time, and plenty of eggs, too.' "'This time the eggs were scrambled to a nicety, "'and the supper met with great favor from all parties. 
Ellen's day was done when the dishes were. The whole family went early to bed. She was weary, but she could rest well. She had made her old grandmother comfortable. She had kept the peace with Nancy. She had pleased Mr. Van Brunt. She had faithfully served her aunt. Her sleep was uncrossed by a dream, untroubled by a single jar of conscience. And her awaking to another day of labor, though by no means joyful, was yet not unhopeful or unhappy. She had a hard trial a day or two after. It was in the end of the afternoon. She had her big apron on, and was in the buttery skimming the milk, when she heard the kitchen door open, and footsteps enter the kitchen. Out went little Ellen to see who it was, and there stood Alice and old Mr. Marshman. He was going to take Alice home with him the next morning, and wanted Ellen to go too, and they had come to ask her. Ellen knew it was impossible, that is, it would not be right, and she said so, and in spite of Alice's wistful look, and Mr. Marshman's insisting, she stood her ground, not without some difficulty and some glistening of the eyes. They had to give it up. Mr. Marshman then wanted to know what she meant by swallowing herself in an apron in that sort of way. So Ellen had him into the buttery, and showed him what she had been about. He would see her skim several pans, and laughed at her prodigiously, though there was a queer look about his eyes, too, all the time. And when he went away, he held her in his arms, and kissed her again and again, and said that some of these days he would take her away from her aunt, and she should have her no more. Ellen stood and looked after them till they were out of sight, and then went upstairs and had a good cry. The butter-making soon became quite too much for Ellen to manage, so Jane Huff and Jenny Hitchcock were engaged to come by turns, and do the heavy part of it, all within the butteries being still left to Ellen, for Miss Fortune would have no one else go there. It was a great help to have them take even so much off her hands, and they often did some other little odd jobs for her. The milk, however, seemed to increase as fast as the days grew longer, and Ellen could not find that she was much less busy. The days were growing pleasant, too. Soft airs began to come. The grass was of a beautiful green. The buds on the branches began to swell, and on some trees to put out. When Ellen had a moment of time, she used to run across the chipyard to the barn, or round the garden, or down to the brook, and drink in the sweet air and the lovely sights, which never had seemed quite so lovely before. If once in a while she could get a half an hour before tea, she used to take her book and sit down on the threshold of the front door, or on the big log under the apple tree, in the chipyard. In those minutes the reading was doubly sweet, or else the loveliness of earth and sky was such, that Ellen could not take her eyes from them, till she saw Sam or Johnny coming out of the cowhouse door with the pails of milk, or heard their heavy tramp over the chips. Then she had to jump and run. Those were sweet half-hours. Ellen did not at first know how much reason she had to be delighted with her pilgrim's progress. She saw, to be sure, that it was a fine copy, well-bound, with beautiful cuts. But when she came to look further, she found all through the book, on the margin, or at the bottom of the leaves, in John's beautiful handwriting, a great many notes, simple, short, plain, exactly what was needed to open the whole book to her, and make it of the greatest possible use and pleasure. Many things she remembered hearing from his lips when they were reading it together. There was a large part of the book where all was new, the part he had not had time to finish. How Ellen loved the book and the giver, when she found these beautiful notes, it is impossible to tell. She counted it her greatest treasure, next to her little red Bible. End of chapter 35